Welcome to Real Life Fiction Live. This is a live Facebook Live AMA event, Ask Me Anything event, hosted by me, Matt James, and uh, my first guest in this series of Facebook Lives is Andrew Clausen. So yes, this is a pre-recorded, uh, was pre-recorded live interview that we did on Facebook, and this is just the audio-only uh, version of it that I am just supplementing into the Real Life Fiction feed. So enjoy and uh, look for these on Facebook as well. And we will have some other authors scheduled and uh, just have some nice little conversations that are audience driven. So you guys are asking the questions and Andrew and I are just uh, kind of feeding off each other in this particular episode. And uh, just for uh, clarity, uh, the first about 15 minutes we are trying to figure out the Facebook Live formula. And because I was going through a third party uh, software, it wasn't showing the feed to the audience for the first few minutes until I figured something out. So uh, it'll just be Andrew and I talking to each other while we're trying to figure out exactly what we're doing, because this is the first Facebook Live event. So just letting you all know it's about the first 15 minutes and then we'll we start at uh, getting the questions in that were being asked so uh have fun enjoy okay yeah we have all right i think we're i think we're rolling um we're in business nice we're in business uh it it's Hey, there she is. <laughs> My problem is, is I don't know if it's going to come up in StreamYard. So if it doesn't, uh, all I know is, hey, Allison, how you doing? Uh, Allison Valentine is in the chat. Hey, um, Allison. So yeah, uh, Allison is wonderful. Uh, she is involved with a lot of authors in a lot of different um, ways, uh, managing a lot of uh, Facebook groups for for a few of them too, which is which is really cool. Um, nice. so very active with Ernest MC, um, very active in a couple of my groups actually, but, um, uh, she's great. So how you doing, Allison? We're all working through this together. We are all working through this together. We are trying to make this thing work. The good news is I am hopefully going to be able to download this as audio. So I will, uh, put it into the feed in my, uh, in the real life fiction podcast. So, Hey James, what's going on? And, oh, there's this lady named Kristen that stalks me. Uh, it's very, very odd. Um, and if nobody knows who that is, that is my lovely wife. Uh, so uh, she is watching from the other room. And I told her it's not <laughs> that formal of an event. She doesn't have to lock herself in the room with the dog. But uh, I, yeah. And uh, James has been one of my longest, uh, long-term readers I've I've had since day one. So uh, oh, nice. James, awesome. James, do you remember how we first connected? Uh, if you can hear me, James, would you remember how we first connected? What was the reason? Uh, I'm sure you remember, but I also, I also thought it was pretty hilarious. And this would have been back in 20, beginning of 2016, I think, summer of 2016. So uh, I'm curious if he, uh, and I don't know what kind of delay there is. So <laughs> I don't think there's a huge delay. So, um, but we are, we are getting some questions. They are not coming through on uh, StreamYard. So that may have just been a, a failure on this part. Uh, yeah, no. So yeah, they're, uh, I don't know if I can throw them up. Okay, yeah, so it just popped up there. So yeah, it's not, it's not a long, a long delay. But, um, but yeah, there's a, uh, not sure if uh, James had uh, been able to hear me, Mr. Buchanan, but um, so uh, years ago, my parents had talked about buying a bowling alley in Northern Georgia. Uh, we were in the bowling business for about 60 years. And uh, my family, yeah, my, yeah, my grand from my grandfather through to my dad. And then um, there was a bowling alley up in a little town in Northern Georgia called Blairsville. And um, there's, there was a bowling alley there for year years. So, uh, he said, uh, LOL, sort of, I, uh, I know I read your first book and it took place. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, uh, bowling alley up there. And I always, I'm like, so I wanted to mention it. Just wanted to pay just one of those weird little quirky things from my childhood. And, uh, I more or less destroyed Blairsville, Georgia in that book. 
and uh, <laughs> that's where James is from. So uh, he just happened to message me and say, oh, man, Blairsville, it's the first time I've ever heard it mentioned in a book before. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, and then him and I kind of connected from that. And he's been, like I said, he's been reading my stuff since my, my very first book. Uh, nice. That's awesome. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, but, that, the burning question I have is, do you still bowl? No. Did you no. Oh yeah, no, I was, I was actually pretty good for a while. Um, I, I bowled a ton of tournaments. I traveled, uh, traveled a lot around, um, like Southern half of Florida, um, and, uh, and, and James said he still lives there. So, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where body started to break down. Um, I'd been in the business so long as far as I just mentally started getting burned out and, uh, just kind of, kind of got, kind of got over it. Wasn't, was kind of done, kind of tired. And, uh, that was kind of about it. <laughs> Didn't, uh. Yeah. Yeah. You figure once you get to that level, I mean, just like with anything, it, the degrees of separation between people who are super successful and those who are right on the fringe, it's, it's not much. So most of it's in your head at that point. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it was, it was body. Cause I, I had, I'd suffered a couple of injuries uh, between my hand and between my back and, um, wasn't as good as I had been because of physical ailments. You know, the mind was still sharp. I still understood, like, it wasn't like I was, it was just a lot of frustration too, mm -hmm. um, because I still felt like I was as good as I ever was, but I just wasn't performing up to what I guess my standards were. So, uh, that's kind of part of it as well. Um, oh, well, it is what it is. Uh, still trying to figure out how to get, comments to show up i know how to do it they're just not it's just not happening and it's really annoying so uh yeah nothing to do with us we're actually live and you know there's people watching but uh you know we can create some poll questions if we want to but i really wanted to get to just be able to see the questions pop up and the only way to do that i think yeah bowling career to a sitting career uh thanks <laughs> thanks chris uh <laughs> yeah, basically. And, uh, not hurting myself as often now, but, uh, so that's a plus. You build up so, a lot of muscle to pick up small children and animals. So I think you're beneficial in the long run. Yeah. Uh, Allison has a, uh, comment, uh, and question. Um, Andrew, you write fantastic adventure thriller novels and you always put the reader into the book. How do you manage to do that? Thank you, first of all, and I appreciate that. I try very hard, and I never know if I succeed, so uh, it's reassuring to hear that. Yep. Same. Um, you, you know, and I'm sure you know, not to not to get away, but Matt, I know you probably deal with the same. Everybody deals with the same anxieties, same questions, and you know, we're just. It's, I'm grateful for something like that. I'm sure Matt is too all the time. Um, so to answer your question, I always try to when I approach writing. One of the things I do is. From a technical perspective, I look at a scene as a camera and the character who is the main character, I imagine that they have a camera in front of their face. And whenever I'm in their head, the camera is behind their eyes and you want to experience what they're experiencing. So you can do that pretty well visually just by thinking through what's happening in a scene. But when you really get into the emotional aspect of it, I think that helps because we all as people have different common emotions that we share and if you can get someone to experience something like so let's say for example i'm writing about somebody who's going to a bowling alley just to steal something we've been talking about for a while if you talk about the smell of stale beer or hot dogs or popcorn or the bumper lanes in there i would probably put the bumper lanes in my scenes because i know we've all been in a bowling alley and we've all used those bumper lanes or seen them and that's something that we can all anchor on to and, oh, hey, now I can see the comments come up. Yeah, there we go. I You were talking and I read something. So for whatever reason, it has to be set to public and not friends, which I don't know why that matters, but I guess that might just be a StreamYard issue. So here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> There's yeah, your question. Look at that. Now. Look how Allison fun that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, Allison, it's just about finding the kind of the shared ground that we all have as people. And I think that 
you know, if the description starts in my mind and it ends in yours, I, I stole that from Stephen King. Uh, I think that can lead to a better, a better read overall. Uh, so I would actually come back and say, as a personal fan of Matt's books, uh, do you find that those type of situations happen in Matt's books often as well? Because I know that I do when I've read them. I preach about Jack adventures, you know, to all my readers. Uh, so I was just wondering, is that something that you're seeing across our books or, you know, is that um, something that you look for more to an extent of? Sounds like you get a lot of reading under your belt. So I'm pretty sure that you uh, get a lot of chance to do this. Yeah. If, if I have, um, if Allison is definitely somebody that I would pose that question to, cause I know she does, uh, she does a lot of reading. Um, I know I definitely have, as far as a, as a consumer, I definitely see that in uh, some of my favorite authors. So that's probably where I go out of my way to make sure I can get that type of content in. So I uh, try to make the characters as relatable as possible, as normal as possible, even if they're like Jack, who has a really distinguished uh, military career under his belt, who also has a very um, deep knowledge on uh, parts of history, not all of it. But I think that's what the appeal for him is, at least in my eyes, is that he's he doesn't know everything, and he and he relies on other characters in the book to accomplish these missions. So he's he's not just some solo guy that can do everything. You know, he he has his limits, and um, that's appealing for me, anyways, as a consumer and a reader, or as a writer. So, um, so, but yeah. So I, I actually will go back to one of your opening scenes that I still, it still sticks with me. Um, it take, and I don't want to spoil it. I'm sure everybody's probably read this, but stop me if you spoil it. It, you know, it takes place on, at a place that has an emotional connection for so many people. Um, it's tied to World War II, tied to the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I still, I still remember this, you know, I've read thousands of books in my life, but I still remember this from your book. Putting someone in a place that has, you know, the, the scene can serve so well as, driving that engagement of it elicits these feelings that we all share you know the the disgust the horror the sadness and then using that as a springboard for the action that comes that we're all really there for because you know we like thrillers action adventure books i think that's a a real skill that you either focus on or you have and i certainly didn't have it i really have to work at it i don't know maybe it's natural for you but I think that using your environment very well to connect to the reader is uh, it is a, a trick to make that happen. It is. It is. Um, I also like to pull in stuff that's pretty obvious from uh, like my personal life, uh, whether it's an influence. Like I love mentioning movies, pop culture references. Uh, my favorite fictional characters, which happen to be like Indiana Jones and you know like. All of my stuff that I, I like, I try to have my characters like uh, favorite bands, like that type of stuff. And um, because why else would that character, that reference be in that book for that specific character? If it's like way out of left field, like doesn't really, I guess, do anything for the story itself. But um, it just adds another layer, another, you know, you know, little thing for that character. And, and I try not to just throw stuff in there just for you know, character building purposes. I try to have it, you know, from me. Um, like Jack's favorite modern band is Volbeat. Uh, they're one of my favorite modern bands and his favorite classic rocker is Bob Seger. And he's my, one of my favorites. So it's uh, going into depth of that kind of stuff. It's not just, oh, I see a name. I throw it in there because I know it'll stick. If that's the case, I'm not using the obscure references that I like to use. You know, I will use more relevant references if I'm really trying to get a rise out of just the populace, but that's, that's not really the point, you know, uh, at least for me, it's not. And, um, I know I've had people where they're like, you know, the character just has so much density to him. Uh, and it just, he has so much, um, just so much for me to kind of like feed off of. And it's, it's mostly because I just, I'll just include some of the, the useless kind of dumb things that would be in a normal person's, uh, background, I guess, you know, has nothing to do with the book, but it's still like, Hey, you're, you're character building here. So let's throw it in there and just have it as some fodder. And I like doing it. I mean, it's I know it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And teach it, you know, an individual brushstroke and you don't need a whole lot of them to make a really complete character. Uh, sure. 
because you you know you hit those touchstones and then you let people run with it and you know they make their connections to it and it means you know something to everybody else yeah um james also said uh the the uh the way for me to know if it's a good book is that i read it and it plays like a movie in my head and um that is one thing that james and i have in common so i write like it's a movie playing in my head so um I know uh, Andrew does a lot of the same stuff where he sees it from like the a director's chair, you know, like if it's on TV, if it's a movie, you know, it's sometimes hard to convey because you're like lighting camera angles, this, this, that there's so much little detail that you can't really put into words, I guess. But, um, uh, Allison, a question for you both Throw it up on the screen. A question for you both. How do you keep your characters r feel real without getting, without them getting old? Um, so I'm assuming you're talking about without them getting stale, not necessarily like actual age old. Um, oh man, let me think. Uh, what about, do you have a, 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 a quicker answer than I'm trying to come up with? I have an idea, but I don't want to stumble through the answer. Oh yeah, no, it's, um, I try to, remember that and that's a great question because i try to remember that books are meant to entertain they are here to for me at least and i'm sure allison's probably the same for you you know it's a chance for me to escape from reality and enjoy a new world you know the, you know if you people who read books travel around the world every day and i think it's important to remember that so you put your characters in situations they don't necessarily have to be exotic locations or, you know, at the bottom of a, of a underwater cave and they're about to drown exciting, terrible places, but put them in places that allow them to experience the entire world. And you get to go along for the ride of them growing throughout that experience. And I think we grow each of us do every day in our new experiences. Uh, it, it's, it's a matter of keeping things fresh by keeping people on their toes and keeping things moving. Uh, stagnation occurs when you fall into a rut and you know, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So give your characters an opportunity to explore themselves by putting them in situations that challenge them would be my rambling long answer. So great question. I'm sorry. I couldn't answer more succinctly. Yeah. And I mean, I'll add on to that. I mean, like, I always, I always say how, how much trouble can one guy get himself into? And the answer is as much as humanly possible, because that's kind of what we do. Right. I mean, that's how much, how much bad luck can one guy run into? And the idea is to have the character, whether it's Harry, whether it's Jack, whether it's whoever, um, just get into some awful situations and then find some clever ways to get out of them. And it just so happens it's Harry or Jack. It's not necessarily character A, character B, character C. It's just the current character in the book. Like I never feel like, I never feel like, oh, it's Jack getting into another situation like this. This is boring. This is this, this is whatever. It's, it's me creatively coming up with a scene that I think is cool. And Jack just happens to be a part of it. So I never really look super deep into that, which I think is probably a good thing. I just don't overanalyze it, I guess. It's just fun. It's it's Jack, but I also like breaking the fourth wall a lot with stuff with Jack willingly like voicing his opinion on why does this crap keep happening to me? Like why, like what, what kind of luck do I have? Like, I like doing that because it kind of, if, if you are Jack, you're thinking the exact same thing, right? So like, uh, what is it from uh, Die Hard, right? Die Hard 3? I think Holly, she's like, why does this keep happening to us? You know, and it's just like, I just always think that kind of like admission is funny and it's just, yeah. it's quirky, you know. Uh, but I'm also a really big fan of just breaking the rules when it comes to writing stories. Like I don't do anything properly. And uh, what, I, what is it they say? Bad decisions make good stories. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Basically, basically. Uh, and, uh, and you'll find this uh, interesting. Um, Allison may have been around for this, for uh, uh, a live that I did with, uh, with Ernie, with Ernest Dempsey. He, uh, he was asking me about writing and, and I said, I've had some comments in the past where, um, 
negative, a lot of them negative, not a lot of them, but a few of them negative, um, about my style. And like, I don't really write traditionally third person past typical narrative. Um, I like using a lot of inner monologue, but I like using the POV of the character, but that's like, uh, so if I'm writing a scene and it's Jack's POV, the only thing that the reader will technically know is what Jack knows. And that's more of a first person thing, uh, versus a third person thing. But at the same time, me, this is just me creative. I can't justify telling the reader something if it's Jack's point of view, because if Jack doesn't know it and he's the leader of the point of view, how can I convey that to the reader without it feeling kind of cheap is a way, you know, it, that's just, that's just how I've always felt with writing. That's why I prefer to write in first person. Uh, for me, it's more direct. It's more straightforward. It makes more sense. Honestly, it just makes more sense. Uh, so I, I do that with a lot of my, with a lot of my characters where it's like, Jack doesn't have all the answers. And if he doesn't have all the answers, I don't think I can just convey it to the reader either because this is Jack's story or it's his point of view. That's why working in the point of view of other characters is so important. And um, it's a big thing for any novice writers out there. Work in some other point of views to help build some of the story that uh, um, you don't have a real concrete way of doing for your readers in any other way. Because like I said, it's just, it's the way I've always done it. I, I, I kind of mix different styles of writing into one just to make the story, uh, I guess, more seem more realistic. Uh, you know, so that's my... So that makes me think of a question. Um, thinking back to if you have a couple, like, favorite books that you've read, um, and, I, and I'll just not put you on the spot, I'll jump in and say this. So one of my favorite books of all time is The Alienist by Caleb Carr. Okay. And it's set in, you know late 1800s New York and it's uh, this guy is a doctor who is what would be eventually become a forensic psychologist but the the discipline doesn't exist yet so it's set in first person but it jumps through different points of view at different chapters now to me that's one of it's one of my favorite books and it's super interesting because you get the perspectives but they're limited of each person in each chapter mm -hmm. um i would find it horribly challenging to write like that because i don't think i'm good enough to do that but seeing it done gives you an idea of you know really what works and then you just need to figure out your own limitations uh, so i would ask you you know if you have a favorite book or two is it written all first person like uh, no, you know, like no. Uh, so th this is what's this is what's really weird is the first, um, probably the first three or four books or around uh, was uh, my Hank Boyd Adventure series, and that was the first the first few books I ever wrote was in that series, and I got the idea from a uh, guy I've talked about a lot on this podcast is uh, Jeremy Robinson and um, his Antarctos rising book was still one of my favorite books he's ever uh, written, but he has an expanded series called the Antarctos saga, which is a bunch of uh, long novella style books within the series being told from a different perspective. And there's, a, a quirky way of writing that I liked of his was the main character in the book is all first person present, but the rest of the book is third person past. And I got into, that's how I started writing. So the very first few books I wrote were all written in two different perspectives. And mostly because Hank was supposed to be what kind of what like Jack is right now is he's like an extension of me as far as his personality and just uh, what I would do in certain situations, just being an average person. Um, so writing the Hank character felt weird outside of first person present because it's, it's supposed to be like my subconscious in this guy's body. And, uh, but all of the other characters, I'm like, it feels more natural to write those in third person past because it's a different perspective and it's not Hank. So um, 
that's the only series I've ever done that in. And when I decided to stop doing that, it, it was easier. <laughs> it was easier. But uh, that was something that uh, Jeremy did in his uh, Antarctic Saga series um, was you had Solomon Vincent, who is the main character in those novellas, and all of his stuff is first-person present, but the rest of the book is third-person past. And it, it was just a weird, unique, quirky way of writing, and I had picked up on it and liked it, and that I just in, in, you know, in, uh, implemented it in my own work. But um, it's not common, so I, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't really know of too many others that I've read that are flipping uh, POV styles. Um, but I, I mean, like my, my unseen series, my Frank moon series, it's 100% first person present. Um, and that's just fun to write because it's just chapter after chapter after chapter. It just never stops. There's no POV switch. Uh, the scenes are all just one after the other, after the other. Um, sorry. Uh, the one, the only Ernest Dempsey just popped in. Um, so <laughs> Ernie, are you watching Bluey while you do this show? Because I am. <laughs> Thanks, Ernie. Thank you very much. But uh, I was wondering if we were going to... Uh... <laughs> there are two of us. <laughs> what does that mean, Ernie? There are two of us. Got his doppelganger on there. I guess, yeah. Uh, and we have another question from Allison. Have either of you written a character that you disliked so much that you didn't put them into your books? Interesting. Usually if I don't like a character, I kill them horribly. <laughs> I really make them pay. Uh, I don't necessarily know. I need to think. Uh, I mean, there are probably a couple of characters that I would, that I wish I would have written differently or rewritten uh after the fact like the Vinny character that uh you and i were talking about uh the my cousin Vinny character and it was mostly because i did get a little um uh i did get a little like too in certain cases i got a little too over the top kind of stereotypical new york italian um and after reading it or after going through it a few times i was kind of like but this is like books later so i'm like i'm not going back and you know i wish i had change that um oh ernie ooh, good question <laughs> so now we have a what do we have a, a three-man going with this <laughs> so allison your question um one thing the way i would answer that is i have written people this there would typically be someone who is they're not an antagonist per se but they're on the side of the protagonist the good guys but they're really awful and they're in their way and they just really really suck so I don't like them at all, but I've done it to a point where it's like, man, this guy needs to be in here because he's horrible and it really elicits that emotional reaction. Uh, so even as I'm reading it, you know, proofing, I'm like, man, this guy's a pile of garbage. I don't like him at all, but I'm going to keep him in here. So it's never been that bad, but it's gotten pretty close. And often it's because circling back to what Matt was saying, you can tie these people to experiences that you've had. And so to me, it's like, mm, this guy's too much like somebody I really don't like in real life, which makes him an awesome villain to have in here. But it, he's a big turd, so I really don't like having him. Yeah. Uh, I'll purposely make kind of like that. Uh, so I, I just, on my other podcast, an armchair directors that I do with a buddy of mine, Richard F. Padden, uh, we had Kevin Tumlinson on for three episodes and we were talking Ghostbusters. So we did Ghostbusters one, two and afterlife. And it reminds me of uh, William Atherton, who was uh, Walter Peck. And, <laughs> and he was one of the best casted, best written, worst characters in a laundry list of some of my favorite movies. Like I hated Peck. Like he was so obnoxious, so annoying, so high and mighty, so this, but William Atherton was perfect. He nailed the character. The, and and I love that character, but I was so annoyed with him, but in a good way, in a entertaining way. So um, I would usually try to go over the top and just make it work. And then just, depending on the series, just figure out a really 
awful way to uh, end him. So, uh, so James, I am seeing your questions in the Facebook chat, but they are not coming up on my other screen for me to put them onto your or onto the stream. I don't know why. It might be something on your end with your permissions. So I'm just letting you know we are seeing your questions, but I cannot put them up on screen. It's very odd. Uh, so, but uh, James, to both of you, what historical person would you want to put in your books? So maybe a historical person that you have not written about. I know you and I kind of, that's kind of our field of expertise, we'll call it. Uh, but uh, so... What about you? Is there somebody that you would love to write about for one reason or another that you haven't done it? Maybe it's too difficult a character, too difficult a person to really make it work. Or maybe a character that doesn't really have a lot to do with history, but it's just an interesting person. That's a, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a great I would, question. I would say, oh man. Um, I would say I'm going to look to somewhere that I really, you're right, I've plumbed a lot of the places I find interesting. I know you have too, you know, you're talking about getting into the, the different historical eras, the King, the Arthurian stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I would say a person that has a lot of potential and I know this is an overused character and he's in a lot of, a lot of different books, but I think Abraham Lincoln with his combination of time period, the adversity he faced and just the opportunity to write a bunch of awesome stories based around that within a short time frame. I think Abe Lincoln would be a pretty cool guy to have in. I know uh, other writers, many other writers have done that and they've done it quite well. Uh, just personally, I think that would be an interesting way to incorporate, uh, you know, American history and kind of the what if questions that lead to all the stories. Yeah. Uh, he'd be fun. I did. Um, I did my, you know, my favorite, which was Ernie's favorite, since he's still in the chat, is Teddy Roosevelt and the Roosevelt Conspiracy, um, mostly because of his involvement with the national park systems and that kind of stuff. So he was he was like the perfect, like in this case, just president, not necessarily just, quote, historical. Um, but us being Americans, you know, we go as far back as our country a lot. So um, uh, as far as like global, um, man. Like I said, I'm going to be doing some work when it comes to like biblical figures and um, and uh, Arthurian figures. I've always wanted to write about the Arthurian legends. So that is definitely on my to do list, not necessarily King Arthur in general, but it's just the time frame and the stories are just so fascinating, um, considering that for the vast part of it, it's all BS, <laughs> which, you know, as far as just proof. Uh, it, it's, it's just so fascinating that it's so widely known and loved, but it's very much considered just fiction. Um, so King Arthur is definitely one of them or just the characters Merlin, you know, Galahad, like those guys. I just think that's a, that's a cool, um, thing, just a cool, weird thing because it, it, there's so much like bad record keeping because of a lot of the crusades, the wars, medieval times, you know, the dark ages, there's just so much reason. There's so much history that's lost there that a lot of this could be true. There's just zero evidence of it all just because of the time frame it comes out of. So uh, I would definitely say the Arthurian. I mean, I'm currently doing it, but it, it's been on my bucket list for a long time to write about, and I'm finally being able to do it. Other ones would be the uh, a lot of the, um, the guys from the Bible just because they are so historically, uh, even outside of the Bible, they're just very his historically relevant. Um I'm just, uh, I'm intrigued, very, very much intrigued. But um, yeah, Ernie, Teddy is my dude. Yeah, we we know, we know. Um, you've gotten a lot of FaceTime on this show. I, I don't know if that's fair. But, uh, and again, James, I don't know why your uh, comments are not popping up like others are. So I do apologize. I'm not entirely sure why that, ha why that is happening. Um, Ernie might know since you're in the chat. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's his permissions. But uh, I don't know. So we got another question. Uh, let's see. Another question from Allison. Is there a, a genre that is very different from your own that you might think about dabbling in? I mean, that's a yes. But uh, I'm curious what... Uh, I've dabbled into it very, very tiny. A uh, little bit. And um, I'm curious if you have another one. 
So yes, and the the answer would be the um, horror genre. And I know Matt has you know the apocalyptic fiction angle has been touched on for in your world. And I'll tell you, it's a very simple, silly reason that is not a good reason to do it. One of my favorite books is Salem's Lot, Stephen King's vampire story. And it's like, man, that I enjoyed that book so much. I want to try and write something like that. And you know, that's like saying, hey, I watched Michael Jordan play basketball. I want to go try and play some basketball. Like, come on, man. But um, no, I think horror would be cool, specifically the vampire. That's definitely not an overplay genre. People have not tapped that out. I feel like there's a lot more juice to get out of that one, especially if you get into the romance. I Sorry, we have the, the best comment of the night. <laughs> what's going on Zach? thanks for thanks for popping in thanks for pooping in oh <laughs> uh, can't can't have vampire specifically yeah uh and i'll say uh the sci-fi horror so um a couple of friends of mine uh, uh greg beck and um and um michael mcbride they're like in my eyes two of the best at it when it comes to sci-fi horror uh, and maybe a little, um, supernatural elements in it too, but, um, I've done it with, uh, my unseen series, which this is a good life lesson for some authors out there that are maybe struggling, uh, to sell books that are legitimately good writers is look at your genres and see how widespread you are. Cause the issue with that is what I found is the closer to the vest I stick with action adventure, the better I perform sales wise. Um, so like, I know my niche, I know my genre of choice. A, it's what I love, but it's also what I love writing. But uh, yes, it's exactly what I said, Nick. Yes. Um, but uh, I really love the sci-fi horror. Horror. Um, it's sorry, it's the Floridian in me. It's, it's a hard word to say. You know, we have this weird accent down here. Uh, sorry. Um, you know, it's like, it's like some of the, the, the Brits that I know some English, you know, there's like some weird words or some Jersey. I have a Jersey girlfriend of mine, Casey, the wooda or the word wooder, wooder type of thing. Yeah. Horror. Uh, but, um, I love writing it. I hate with a passion or as entertainment. Hate it. Hate it. Don't watch it. It doesn't, it doesn't entertain me visually story-wise. I love writing it. <laughs> I love writing it. So like Sub-Zero was one that I wrote that was uh, sci-fi horror. And it sold very well. Uh, not, it did, it wasn't as received as far as like reviews and ratings and stuff, but it sold very well. And I had a blast writing it. And um, that's definitely a genre I would love to jump back into. I have a ton of ideas. I have covers that I that I made like, five years ago for books that I planned on writing in the genre and I haven't needed them just cause I haven't, I haven't written them, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely the, the horror, but it's more of the sci-fi version. So more like uh, monsters, creatures, mutations, not even post-apocalyptic stuff. It, it's more like uh, genetic malformation, you know, that type of stuff. So it's, uh, um, yeah, that would definitely be the genre of choice that I would jump into. Uh, I know some authors that have gone like straight fantasy when it comes to like world building, uh, that's ridiculous. Like James, uh, James Razone, who I just had on real life fiction, uh, the dude's background as a military interrogator and DOD contractor. I mean, he's awesome and he's a great writer. The Monroe doctrine that he writes. Um, he has a series rise of the Republic that is a more or less like 70 years in the future kind of space opera. And he's got like eight or nine books in it. And it is like a world that he created from scratch. And I'm like, bro, I don't even know where to start with stuff like that. So, I mean, it would be interesting, but that is so over my skis that, man, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yes, Nick Poop. Uh, are you? Do you have anything actually, like, remotely, <laughs> or are you just here to, uh, here to confuse and or distract me, which is not hard to do? But... Uh, <laughs> Oh, he, he likes the horror version over the horror version. Got it. Got it. So, yes. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Ernie said he can see James's comments as well, but uh, it, it's more or less being able to... They are not popping up on my um, 
StreamYard dash, which is how I flip them onto the screen, unless there is a way to do it in Facebook, and I have no idea. Uh, not very user-friendly, I will say that, as far as the dashboard, but here we are. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, clean your mind. I know, Allison, right? Uh, yeah, Nick needs to clean his mind. Uh, it's not going to happen, but he needs to clean his mind. So, but, but yeah, uh, I was trying to think. There was something... There was something that was coming out that I wanted your opinion on for... Oh, uh, have you seen the trailer for the movie 65? Uh, I have not. Uh, it looks ridiculous, like, and in the best way possible. Um, so what I, what I want to do is... The only reason is because from a storytelling aspect, it sounds amazing. And uh, it stars Adam Driver, who I love, who um, should be the lead in all the new Star Wars movies, not Ray. Uh, just going to say, you know, Ben should have lived. Uh, I'm going to say that forever. Um, so it's Adam Driver, but uh, it's 65 because he is an astronaut, which it, very little is, has been released about the, uh, about the um, movie itself. Um, it's written by the guys that did A Quiet Place, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it takes place 65 million years into Earth's past. And it oh. is a sci-fi military type thing. He's like a kind of a lone survivor type dude. I think there's one other person, at least in the trailer, there's only one little girl. He is an astronaut who is transporting uh, like uh, people in stasis pods across time, I guess. And uh, they crash in prehistoric Earth. And he has like a bunch of like futuristic weapons and stuff, but he is battling dinosaurs. Okay. And... <laughs> And it's Adam Driver, which I think is cool, uh, just because he it, it's it's a role that I wouldn't have seen him in, but I just thought it. So I didn't know if you had seen it, but like the the, the premise of it just seemed so. And like I would love to write something like that, but uh, that's like a lot of mixing of different genres. Like I've done dinosaurs before, and they're fun, and I do plan on doing more of that in the kind of near future. But it's probably going to be a couple years based on my current schedule. But. Uh, no, Only a, reason I ask good. is because I saw the trailer again a few days ago, and it's kind of fresh in my mind. It's really cool. So, that's a mashup. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I mean, dinosaurs—you can never go wrong. I asked my son; he he knows yeah. that too. But uh, yeah, you know, it's that's cool. No, I have not seen that. I will check that out. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, sounds super nerdy and something you would force me to watch. It's like borderline educational. I think it counts for something. It counts. It counts. Yeah. I mean, you know. She, she liked Adam Driver. She liked Ben. Uh, no. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it 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 looked cool, and I was like I said, it's more from the storytelling aspect because I saw the, the the it's just the number six five. It's just sixty five is the name of the movie, and I was like, oh, sixty five. What is this? Adam Driver. Okay, cool. And then like it's space, and you don't see anything as far as dinosaurs until like halfway through, and when you see one, I'm like, oh, sixty five. I get it. And then it just gets really, yeah. And then it gets really nuts with like raptors and T Rex, and you're just like, "Whoa!" I'm like, "Whoa!" You want to talk about a like a epic story? I'm like, that just sounds really cool. So, but uh, interesting. I was yeah. waiting until near the end. So Adam Drive, he's from Star Wars. You're, I, I hate to admit this, I've never actually seen Star Wars. Oh my god, he's got the like the long hair. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was he, he he's done a ton of other stuff but i specifically know him as uh um kylo ren and he is his real name is ben solo so he's okay. uh oh. yeah he is uh yeah he's uh han and leia's son uh in, later in life okay cool so but yeah uh uh allison again for both of you what is your next book and could you let everyone know about it so we actually touched on this before we actually figured out how to make Facebook live like functional. So, um, we've been doing a lot. Yeah, we went over it a lot, but we can do a quick rehash. Uh, I am, this is going to be saved so people can go back and listen, but, uh, we can definitely do a rehash real quick. If, uh, Andrew, if you want to give like a quick, uh, a quick detail on, um, I guess what's next on your plate or what are you currently working on versus I guess what's so. Yeah, for sure. No, thanks for asking, Allison. Uh, so the fifth book in my Harry Fox series called The Peg and Hammer will be coming out in the middle of March. 
Uh, and then in early, I'd say June-ish, the sixth book in that series will be coming out. Um, I actually just get the cover design right now, so I'll be sharing that shortly. And that will conclude the series arc. It won't conclude the series, but there's a, if you've been reading them, there's a, a pretty consistent theme throughout them that's kind of this background question. Those questions will be answered. So uh, the next two Harry Fox books for me. But cool. thank you for asking Nice, nice, yeah. Um, I have the fifth book in my Jack Riley series coming out on February 15th. That is The Venetian Pursuit. So I combined two of the most popular missing persons cases in history, in my opinion, which is Amelia Earhart and the uh, Lost Fleet of Marco Polo from 1291, the, the fleet that just went up and missing. So north of five or 600 people went missing, 13 ships went missing, and nobody knows why, still to this day. So uh, he never revealed it and loaded down with what I would assume is billions of treasure, billions of dollars in treasure coming from Kublai Khan. And uh, just 16, 17 people arrive in Persia on one ship, and that is it. So I'm, I just thought it was always such a unique, weird thing to happen considering his his record and his legitimacy as 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 an explorer, uh, but also with that many people coming from that prestigious of a kingdom, uh, Kublai Khan's kingdom in, in ancient China, um, or that area roundabout. Um, I always thought that that was a a cool thing. And then Amelia Earhart, just because it's still such a, uh, it's almost like a romantic idea now of like this just this explorer that gone missing, and almost a hundred years ago now. Um, in 1937. So I, I did kind of a mashup of those two things. Um, so that's coming out and uh, more secluded. It's the complete opposite of uh, the Undying Kingdom, which Undying Kingdom is this massive, huge thing with uh, a lot of travel. Uh, Venetian Pursuit is very secluded and very like uh, Uncharted Island type thing. So it's it's a little more like uh, um, enclosed, I guess, as a way to think about, uh, to, to describe it. Um, Currently writing The Blood King, first book in a new series called The Relics of God. Uh, Relics of God is going to tackle um, biblical artifacts, not just New Testament, but also Old Testament artifacts. Um, and uh, after that, I'm actually going to hop right back into my Jack Riley series with book six, which uh, I have leaked the name of on my Amazon page for the uh, Venetian Pursuit pre-order. It is in the description of that book at the bottom the only place i have it so if anybody has pre-ordered the book they may have read it uh so um but it is going to be called the lost legion and it is going to tackle the uh ninth legion of the imperial roman army from julius caesar and their disappearance which will also link in another of history's greatest men which is alexander the great so uh a lot to unpack with that book that's going to be another like undying kingdom book where it's like massive it's just gonna have a ton going on i can just foresee it just based on locations i want to use and characters i want to introduce um that's kind of the extent uh i will hopefully be writing uh nick and i will be putting out Zara kane 2 at the end of the year and uh yeah uh, a lot to do <laughs> a lot a lot to do. Uh, we did get another question. Uh, so he may have heard me say the word dinosaur. So uh, this was what I was hopefully hinting at. And uh, James, Dark Island 2 in the foreseeable future. Uh, yes, there was always a um, plan to write two more books, Dark Island 2 and 3. Uh, for one reason or another, I just haven't gotten to it. And at this particular moment, being four years removed from the first book, I do plan on writing books two and three, but I have a little bit of some uh, moving and shaking to do with the first book as far as um, publishing rights and stuff. So I'm I'm in the process of trying to figure something out because I do want to write those books, but I have a, uh, I have a few things to take care of before it happens. So that's the main reason I haven't done it now. Uh, but yes, I do plan on writing books two and three in the Dark Island series, but it still probably won't be for a couple of years, which is unfortunate. But yeah, that's my dinosaur series, we'll call it. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of our uh, current work and our future work coming mm -hmm. up. So um, I know we've been on the air for over an hour, but I know you guys have probably only seen 40 minutes of it because we had about a 15 or 20 minute of just us <laughs> chit-chatting without being able to use 
uh, Facebook. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, there's a lot going on over here. I know Andrew's got a ton going on. Um, we can, uh, hang out for a little while longer and then we could, um, say our goodbyes to everyone. Um, thank you so much for all the comments too, by the way, all the questions. Uh, I love doing stuff like this. Hopefully the, uh, the next time, um, we'll just have a ton of, uh, Oh, we have another one from Allison for you, Andrew. I'll have it up on the screen. Um, while I look something up, it says, Andrew, uh, what has been the most interesting random thing that you found whilst, uh, looking into writing any of your books? That's a great question. Um, hmm. I would have to say this is going to get a little ephemeral, but, um, so in my Parker chase series, the second book, the Crown's Vengeance, it's tied to, it, it's basically kind of a financial calamity book. And it looks into tying together a series of historical financial events with the overarching theme of someone being the puppet master behind all of those you know, terrible times that have happened. And, and it goes back to the um, it, it starts back in like 1812 with the War of 1812 and progresses through history and goes to the Great Depression. And um, the one thing that I found to be the craziest part was the, the dominoes that fell leading to the Great Depression were so incredibly mundane, uh, but also so predictable. And I'm talking about things like commodities trading, cotton, oil, um, just the fact that our economies are so intertwined that a few people deciding that they want to get rid of all of their oil over in England could eventually turn into what precipitated the Great Depression in America. It, it just blew my mind that we're on such, you know, we're so interconnected and we're on such a razor's edge of everything's okay. And it can all go so wrong so fast. Uh, that really blew my mind. I know that's a super high level, not concrete thing. And I'm sorry, but that still sticks with me. It's like, man, we're really just skating by and nobody wants to see how, how close it is to falling apart. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right with you there. Uh, it's amazing how like, just like little decisions that aren't really that big of a, uh, don't have a lot of value, face value on their own, but the way that they can just snowball with like a little push or a little something and how they can just completely domino and just destroy an entire economy for, for instance, or even a world economy. Um, like f for me, I guess it's just doing some research into like, I mean, I can tell you right now, the current book I'm writing, uh, without giving away a lot, um, when you do some research into like what I'm writing about, which is the Holy Grail, and you do a little research into that and you're like, okay, how can I tie the Holy Grail from the Bible, the, the, the Holy Chalice, which isn't a gigantic part of the story at face value into one of the most significant biblical artifacts in history, but not be not directly because of the Bible. It's because of the King Arthur lore. And like, that's the, that's what we know from Indiana Jones and the last crusade, right? It's the Holy grail, but it's the Arthurian grail. Um, and it's like doing research on both ends of that story and trying to weave them into one story. And then real, and then just on my own realizing there's so much correlation between them with like other characters that it's kind of a mind blowing thing where you're like, wow, okay. Uh, well, there goes half my outline because that's like, that's like mind bomb. Like, whoa, that's cool. And, um, like I I've done that with research. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the current thing I'm working on. And, and Andrew's done this too, where once you get, once you're done with a book and you move on to the next one, it's like all systems go on the current project. So it's like, I know when I've done research on some of my other books, like uh, The Forgotten Fortune, I know I did that with when I was writing about the Nazi gold train and uh, that. And then I realized that 
there's like, so when you think of like massive gold deposits and like treasure, you know, you think of the Knights Templar and I'm like, I haven't done a ton of research into the crusades. I'm doing that now with just more of this Arthurian and then the, the biblical stuff. But, um, I start like researching some of that stuff and I'm like, Oh, there was a sect similar to the Knights Templar in Poland. My book takes place in Poland. When were they active? Okay. All right. That's interesting. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> so then you just eyes open wide and you're like, Oh, this is going to be good. So it's like, it's just little things like that. It's just, it, you can connect the dots sometimes and you can come up with some massive, massive, massive elements to add to a story. So can I throw out one more crazy one? Um, yeah. Part of what I'm researching Absolutely. for my current book, the, um, ma the majority of people who lived, and this, the majority of people who lived in the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, so you know, roughly from like, say 500 to about 1200, never traveled more than 10 miles from the place where they were born in there. That absolutely blew my mind. Wow. So like you think about all the villagers, you know, not the knights or the kings or the mm -hmm. ladies in waiting. It's like they never went anywhere. They bore, they were born in a village. They grew vegetables and slaughtered cows, and then they died there. They never went anywhere in their whole lives, which were probably 25 years long, so they didn't have that much time. Jeez. Yeah, I I had no idea. I didn't know that. It was, well, it was just wild. Yeah, that's it, insane. History doesn't talk about them, so. No, yeah, and I that whole time frame is interesting to me because you, you start getting into like the Dark Ages and medieval times and the Middle Ages and that kind of stuff, and it was so war torn, and it was there was it, there was, and that's where a lot of there's a disconnect in like history because of just record keeping and lack thereof. So it's it's that era is just so fascinating to me because there's so many what ifs that come out of that part of history that two, three, 400 year span of the, just that era that we just don't know. It's just so odd to me because I mean, what's possible? What did we miss? You know? So, and, and what, what did we miss from ancient history that maybe records were found during the middle ages that then were destroyed? So it wasn't just from the middle ages, but it's also stuff from ancient history that may have been discovered because all of that was happening in some of like the oldest European nations and then into some of the Middle Eastern nations, which have some of the deepest, richest history in the world. Um, so let's see. Uh, my wife has a question. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a B character in any of your books, who would you want to be and why? That's interesting. Um, True. That's, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Yeah. So I, I can, can I run? So in my yeah, um, yeah. Parker right. series, there's a, a guy he liaises with who is a CIA agent, uh, but he's based in the United States. He's this, you know, kind of secretization officer in the CIA that works on our soil as opposed to taking, they take over the FBI's territory basically. And they're, um, there's only very few of them. Well, this guy was the, he was a he's a Navy veteran, uh, current CIA agent. He was the heavyweight boxing champion in the Navy, so he's a he's a big bruiser, but he's also a very quiet, reserved man. Uh, and I think he leads a very interesting life. Uh, I wouldn't want to be him because he's a big bruiser guy, but because he is just such a dichotomy of he kind of tiptoes his way through life until he has to become a bull in a china shop. And he also has a really cool job. I think it'd be neat to see all the kind of stuff they learn as CIA guys. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a soft spot for, um, well, you say bull in a China shop is bull, uh, Tatanka Durham in my Jack Riley series. Uh, he is a uh, park ranger in Yellowstone. He is a Lakota Native American through and through, full-blooded. And uh, he is an expert tracker. He has like a connection with the earth. Uh, where he can just feel things, he can hear things. Jack always says he's got like this supernatural connection with the earth, but it's just a lot of the time Jack's thoughts in his brain are just so rattled and so hyper that he just doesn't have the patience to sit and just listen and just feel where that's like Bull's expertise is like sitting quietly and just listening to the earth. And, uh, you know, that's what makes him such a good tracker. 
That's what makes him such a good ranger. And um, Jax learned a lot from him in the four plus years that he worked as a Yellowstone Ranger in between his Delta days and now his uh, TAC days. Um, the character that I built with Bull has is always always been a pleasing character for me. He's always been a calming presence influence. And uh, Jack is completely the opposite. So I always thought that uh, Bull would be kind of cool just to be kind of like that, you know, that calming presence in the storm that is Jack Riley. So, I mean, that was definitely one. Um, you know, I have some other characters that are like those big bulls that are just like, you know, bruisers and like action heroes and this and whatevers. But uh, Bull was probably one of those characters that I wrote um, that was almost like he was pleasing to write because he was so calm and he could just, he could just chill out an entire chapter just with his presence and his speech and his just like, you know, everybody shut up when Bull talks because he doesn't say anything unless it's worth something where Jack will say whatever he wants. He just, he doesn't really have a filter. So maybe it's because I'm so used to writing Jack and I love that character so much that when I write Bull, he's just so different, uh, but purposefully different. So yeah, I mean, that would definitely be mine. So, but, uh, well, guys, I will say, uh, you know, thank you. Um, any last minute questions we can um, also answer as we're wrapping up here. But uh, this is Real Life Fiction Live. Uh, this is a live event. And as I do more of them, I'm hoping to iron out the kinks and uh, get more people involved just because there is it is kind of difficult to do uh, in some respect, just based on softwares and so many different reasons. This, yeah. Anyways, like I can't get back into the dashboard on Facebook to to like monitor things. It just disappeared when I clicked on something and I have no idea how to get back into it. So I'm not going to worry about it right now. But uh, yeah, I, and, you know, we're going to try to do more of these. This is just an extension of my Real Life Fiction podcast. Uh, this is just a live uh, where I can have, you know, guys like Andrew back on who uh, who I may have talked to in the past just as a little bit more um, uh, low key, just kind of uh, laid back kind of version not that real life fiction is super serious, but this is definitely more of just us kind of BSing and then reading some of y'all's questions. And cause I can only come up with so many questions to ask Andrew, uh, while hosting a show. So this is like a lot of these questions were not questions I would have come up with on my own. So thank you for that. Um, just more information. So, um, and, uh, one more from Allison. Uh, this is why I love your books. You and other authors put some truth, some conspiracy theories and throw a curveball to try to figure out, to try and figure everything out. Uh, as a reader, as a consumer, I like it too. So <laughs> it's probably more. Oh, awesome. From. Thanks, Allison. A little bit, yeah. little bit of BS in my case, you know? So. Yeah, there's gotta be a little, a little bit, you know, a little bit. there's gotta be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no. And, um, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, there were some things like what, uh, uh Andrew was saying earlier with, uh, seeing some appreciation from the readers. Um, I don't do this a lot anymore. I used to do it when I was uh, a, a younger writer is um, the, the ratings and reviews um, on Amazon specifically and any shares that y'all can help us yeah. out with on social media. Um, they go a long way and uh, there mm -hmm. are, there is a lot of, I guess it's kind of like censorship on social media platforms when it comes to businesses because um, they want you to pay for advertising. And, um, that's the one thing that you guys can help us circumnavigate is, um, sharing posts that Andrew and I would post on social media to your own pages, to your own friends, to other readers that, you know, um, it goes a long way because that's a lot of stuff that we get, um, blackballed and just blocked. Uh, that's something that, uh, it, it's a big deal for us. And the ratings and reviews are the same thing on Amazon. Uh, those ratings and reviews mean a lot. They don't necessarily mean a lot as far as like me reading them all and then cursing someone out when they give me a bad review, it means a lot for the, the, um, the visual, uh, the, um, my brain is really scattered right now, uh, for Amazon to see our book and then sell it and push it further in their own advertising. Uh, cause it's kind of the same thing. That's why some books take off better than others is because of early ratings and reviews on those specific titles. So uh, anything you all can do to help us with that, uh, obviously not just us, it's all writers, all of your favorite writers, it goes a long way. It really, really does because uh, we can only do so much. Um, I can only share so much on my end before it it's all for naught and it's just a waste of time. So, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say uh, 
thank you for doing that for those that do. Uh, we do get notifications when people do share our stuff. So thank you. I try to like and say thank you to everybody. But uh, that's a big deal. So um, Andrew, any last words before we uh, cut out for the night and say our goodbyes? Anything? Thank, just I appreciate everybody chiming in. This has been awesome. Uh, shout out to you, Matt, for putting this together and figuring things out on the fly. Uh, you yeah. made it happen. So thanks. I, I, I apologize. For, yeah, I apologize for Andrew to be my uh, my guinea pig, my test subject on this. Hey, man, it's all good. We, we came on early and we're like, hey, I wonder how easy this is going to be. I don't know what I'm doing. Why is nobody in our chat? What's going on? So now I know. So I know I have to set it to public. Friends doesn't work. Invite blah, blah, blah doesn't work. So yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna figure this out. Hopefully the next one, I won't have to figure so much out, but uh, you never know. So, but uh, thank you all for watching uh, that tuned in live on Facebook. Uh, thank you all for listening. I, like I said, I will hopefully, uh, I don't see why I can't, I will hopefully be able to download this and upload it as an extension in the real life fiction feed. Um, I will definitely put this on the audio podcast as far as video. I don't know. Uh, honestly, it's just what's possible. I'm pretty sure I can get the audio out of this. So worst case scenario, you'll get an audio version out of this and you'll just hear us talking and rambling like we usually do. But uh, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks.